This is the Word of God, and I'm going to need His help this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose... If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. Would we pray? Lord Jesus, we come before your throne. This morning. And we ask for help. Would you in your kindness. Bring divine softening. To our hearts. Lord they're they're so often hard towards your words. Would you send your Holy Spirit. Father and. Soften them this morning that we might hear from you and be changed to be like Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. 
One of the sporting highlights of 2023 was the June Ashes series. It was a highlight, it was fierce, and it was a bitter rivalry uh, lived out, ending in a tie at two for two with one drawn match. One of the key moments in this series was, however, on the final session of the second day of the second Ashes test at Lord's. When Nathan Lyon, 35 years of age, considered the GOAT, the greatest of all time test finger spinners from Australia, in his 100th consecutive test for Australia, running to field a ball in the outfield, uh, pulled up with significant pain in his calf. It turned out to be a serious tear that ruled him out for the rest of the series, and he's still recovering to this day. Uh, Australia, however, was struggling in the second innings, and so he returned to bat a couple of days later, despite the fact that he still needed crutches uh, with which to walk. And I wanted to report to you an interview that took place shortly after the close of play on day four. Uh, The reporter asked uh, Nathan in the press conference the following question. Nathan, were there conversations with the medical staff about, you know, potentially whether you could do more damage to your calf, and on that, were you in pain when you kind of hobbled down for that single? It looked like you heard it again. Can you kind of talk us through all that? Nathan Lyon said the following. Yeah, I've been having conversations since it happened with our medical team, and I knew the risks. But the way I looked at it is, as I said before, I'll do anything for this team. And you never know how big a 15-run partnership can be in an Ashes series. So yes, I'm proud of myself for going out there and doing that. And if it's tomorrow, would I do it again? I'd do it again and again and again because I love this team. And I love playing cricket for Australia. And if I can keep playing my role and keep helping out my teammates here and there, I'll do that. I've been absolutely shattered, mate. I'll be honest. I've been in tears. I've been upset. I've been hurting. But I think that shows for me, as I keep saying... This team means everything to me. And I'll start this rehab journey now to get back, to keep playing my role. But yeah, right now, I'm pretty shattered. It's a vivid image of someone desperately longing to be out there playing again for their team. Over and over again in that press conference, Nathan Lyon says, I love this team. It means everything for me. If I can play just something, some role to help this team, I'm going to do it. See, nothing is going to hold him back from playing. And he's devastated to be missing out and feeling the loss that his absence is to the whole team. It's this kind of deep love for his team and a sense of passion to help the team in any way he possibly can. Well, we're halfway through a series, as we've been saying, called Unmissable Church, where we've been looking at this Christian blind spot in the West about the way we view church. How in the space of a generation, committed Christians have gone from viewing church as central, something that should cloud the whole day, a whole day affair, to average attendance of just two times out of three on any given Sunday. And the question I've been wrestling with in the lead up to this and during this series is, but why? Why do we struggle so much with this? Why do we struggle to be so devoted together as a community to one another? 
Uh, last week, Austin did this, this wonderful job unpacking many of the barriers, how we have these kind of competing priorities and all the difficult relationships we might have, or even a sense of guilt of, of your personal walk that might hold you back from being devoted to one another. And it's true. There are many barriers that stop us from making church a priority. But the question I've been wrestling with as I've been thinking on this is, but why is it that we struggle so much to devote ourselves to this area and not to other areas in our lives? Think with me for a moment. Imagine that you applied for a full-time job and you turned up at the job interview and you sit down with a panel in front of you where you say the the following, I'll be up front with you. I'm going to be away the best part of two days a week for this role. Uh, the interview panel would say probably something along these lines to you, actually, this is a full-time role, and so you're probably applying for the wrong job. You should be looking for a part-time role. Or imagine, for instance, you joined a, a soccer team or a netball team, and, the coach, and to the coach you said, shortly after joining the team or in the lead-up to joining the team, I'm going to shoot straight with you. I'll, I'll be missing one out of three games for this team. Uh, sometimes, coach, it'll just be sickness. Sometimes I'll, I'll just be tired. I'm, I'm expecting there might be some late nights. Sometimes it'll be social commitments. Sometimes it'll be kids' birthday party prep. So, coach, uh, it's just going to be two out of three games for me. Well, I can tell you what the coach would say. The coach would say it's probably not going to work out. We need you to be there each and every week to play your part in this team. Well, I'm out to convince us this morning from God's word that one of the biggest factors that makes church very missable in 2023 is that we do not believe that we're needed. We do not believe that we're needed. If you're in the workplace as part of a work team or part of a sports team, you know your team needs you there each and every week. They will struggle to perform in your absence. And you feel the pain and they feel the pain of you being away each and every time. But truth be told, in church life, we often don't feel that way, do we? We don't feel like we're part of a team. We don't feel like we're playing an important role each and every week. We don't intuitively carry around this sense that our absence costs the team so dearly. We're talking about something more than just being needed to serve on a roster each week. Don't hear me wrong. Something more profound, that we deeply need one another that we desperately need one another, that we are in fact interdependent. Like Nathan Lyon, feeling the pain of missing out, he was shattered, he was hurting, there was tears, a willingness to do anything to help his mates. Now I put to you that rather than a team, church for many in our neighborhood in 2023 is more like a favorite cafe. You know, Evolve in Warunga, I love that cafe. I love the coffee. I'm friendly with the staff and the other customers. It's a great location. And I'm happy to pay for the service. And occasionally, even I chip in to help pop my waste in the bin or wipe down the table. You know, I know I should be a loyal customer and go to support them more often. I know I should, but life is busy. And there are many, many places here to get great espresso. Do I depend on them? Absolutely not. See, as we open up the pages of God's Word together, we're going to see a picture of a community so rich that even team doesn't go far enough. Rather, an interdependent body. If you're taking notes uh, this morning, I've borrowed uh, from 
the uh, pastor and theologian Stephen Arm in his wonderful commentary for uh, several of the points from here today. I couldn't do better than what he did. I'm entitling this message, The Gift of Interdependence. Uh, We're going to look at the beauty of interdependence, why it's beautiful, the fight against independence and the redemption of interdependence uh, to end. But really, just as I've been saying, I'm out to convince us this morning from God's word that God has designed us to need one another. That is his beautiful design for us together. So let's begin with point number one, the beauty of interdependence. Well, just by way of context to the passage of Scripture we're looking at this morning, it's a passage from a letter that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. Corinth was a rich trade city in modern-day Greece. Uh, This church was a mix of wealthy and poor, of Jews and Greeks, of uh, Gentiles and slaves and free people as well. It, It reflected their city, and it was an absolute mess. It was a mess of a church. They had imported their cultural values into their church. And as a result, there were deep divisions. There were warring factions. There was sexual immorality. There was litigation between members in the church. There was the exploitation of the poor and a general lack of love for one another. And Paul is writing to help them have a long and hard look at themselves and to see God's plan for the worldwide worship of Jesus and how they need to change and how they're joined to him, and how they've been called to follow his example and to be transformed into the very image of the Lord Jesus. And in our passage, Paul is teaching the church about the profound diversity and unity that ought to exist in the church, that is, the body of Christ. Read with me again those opening three verses from our passage, verse 12 through to 14. Paul says this, But just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ, or as he's just said, the body of Christ. By members here, we're not talking about members in the sense of like a social club or something like that. No, by a member here, he means a part, an organ or a limb in the body. See, just as there's great diversity in the parts of a human body, you've got a pinky toes, you've got hair, you've got a spleen, you've got a collarbone, you've got ears, and yet they're unified into one body, so it is with the body of Christ, the church. It's a beautiful picture of the reality of the body of Christ, the church community. These parts, although immensely different, all have a crucial part to play. And Paul is saying that through the work of the Holy Spirit, we've been intimately joined to Jesus Christ and to one another. It doesn't matter our birthright or ethnicity, whether we're a pagan by birth or whether we're Jewish by birth. It doesn't matter whether we're currently enslaved or a master of slaves. The same, perhaps, Holy Spirit has flooded us. It's flooded our lives. And we are like parts of the Lord Jesus' very own body. Just as... uh, The Lord Jesus said when he appeared to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting, not Christians, not the church, but me? So intimately connected are Christians to Christ himself. 
It's a little bit like experiencing the worst pain known to humankind, which we all know is stepping on a piece of Lego. And you step on that piece of Lego, and immediately your, your knee lifts your foot off the floor. And your teeth grit, and your mouth goes to say something inappropriate before your brain activates and intervenes. And you're on the other foot hopping as your back reaches down to grab that piece of Lego embedded from your foot. You see, in that moment, it's not a collection of individual parts. They seamlessly work together for a common purpose. There's no decisions to be made. They intuitively set about working to care and protect the body's integrity. See, but it's this point that as modern people, I think we start to feel uncomfortable with this metaphor of a body because the truth is we do not like to be dependent on others, not in our culture. As Stephen Arm says it so well, he says, modern people do not like the idea of dependence. They major on independence. They do not want to need others nor do they want to be defined by others. Dependence sounds like weakness or deficiency. For the most part, people enjoy and take pride in autonomy. So when readers approach a passage in the Bible that speaks about interdependence in the church, while many contemporary people might find themselves attracted to the picture of a harmonious community, they do not ultimately want it if it is at the expense of their independence. They might want community, but the only thing they are unwilling to pay for it is their autonomy. I think that's so true. We like the idea of community, belonging together in something, but not if it means we lose our independence. Not if it means that we need to depend on others. See, our culture might prize autonomy above all else, but Paul wants us to see that there's a deep beauty about our interdependence. And there are several reasons he highlights in our passage that we're going to now look at briefly. Firstly, he shows us that interdependence is beautiful because no part of the body is disposable. Read with me verse 21 of our passage. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. honor. And our more unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. See, the thought of one part of the body suggesting that it has no need of the other is, in fact, ridiculous. All the parts have an equal need for each other. Bodies need all their parts to function effectively. And so Paul addresses the social hierarchy of his day, the honorable people, the people of noble birth, those that are wealthy and educated, and the lowly people, the people not all the above. You see, in the church, it's meant to be a picture of God's design for redeemed humanity. Each part given its right honor and dignity as being vital to the health of the entire body. It made me think about, uh, just this last week, these two tiny little bands of smooth muscle 
that exist in our neck, in our larynx, called vocal cords. This is such small and hidden parts and yet crucial to our lives and to my life. Uh, earlier this year, I was really struggling with my voice, such I was worried I wouldn't be able to preach at uh, Jenny and Harry's wedding. And it's a picture of how when your voice isn't working, those two tiny hidden little bands of smooth muscle, everything has to act to compensate. Your face, your hands, and your legs as well. Uh, We were at Westfield at the Audi playground inside Westfield when I spotted a nameless little son of mine up there smacking some child at the top of the playground. And I immediately tried to call out, and I had no voice to shout at all. So I'm, shouting, I'm trying to gesture wildly to get his eyesight to catch mine. I had to actually leg it up to the top of the playground to grab him and bring him right back down so I could save that poor, poor child that was getting beat up by one of my boys. Every part of our body is vital. See, because we value our autonomy so much, we constantly try and convince ourselves that we are, in fact, indispensable. That we're indispensable at work. That we're indispensable as parents, as friends, as spouses in our community. And yet it's a fragile conviction, isn't it? Isn't that, though, what we quietly fear? That one day we'll be forgotten and discarded by others. You know, many people in our culture, it's been shown, have a fear that's even greater than getting cancer. Today, the greatest fear that people have in our culture is actually to get dementia, to be locked away and forgotten about. And yet the beauty of the church is that all parts are indispensable and valuable. There are no dispensable parts. Can I ask you a question? When you look around this room, is that what you see? Indispensable parts of Christ's precious body. Here's another, perhaps more difficult question. If you're honest, are you prone to question whether you belong to this community because you're different? Maybe you're in a different age or stage. Maybe because you have a different ethnicity or social status, different financial means or schooling or education level or history or giftedness or disability. According to this word of God, your difference is what makes you indispensable. It's part of the beauty of a diverse body that you are a vital part of this community. And that is the beauty of interdependence. That in a body, all parts are indispensable. No one is disposable. Secondly, not just that interdependence is beautiful because there are no disposable parts. But secondly, interdependence is beautiful because it's God's design. You know, various times in our life, we can be prone to struggle with discontentment and the snare of compare and looking across the aisle at the gifts and resources of others. But Paul wants us to see that interdependence is a beautiful part of God's design. 
And therefore, there's no accidents. He repeats this not once, not twice in our passage, but three times. Verse 18, he says the following. But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body. Verse 24, he says, But God has so composed the body. And verse 28, he says this again, And God has appointed in the church. Three times in our passage. See, our culture says depending on others is weakness. God says it's my design for humanity. You see, we find ourselves fearful of being seen as worthless and looked down on by others. And God says, in the church, you'll find special honor and embrace. Friends, you know, there are people in this church that our city and our culture really doesn't think are worth much at all. You know, we value as a culture inclusion and diversity, but it's often lip lip service. It's very different to genuinely loving people and embracing them. See, our church has people living in public housing, people on disability pensions, people that are elderly, people that have struggled with drugs and alcohol addiction, people that wrestle with chronic mental health problems. And in the church, these are not just people we put up with. No, not at all. They are dearly loved saints and some of the most precious parts of this body. Or thirdly, interdependence is beautiful because it displays Christ's love. Read with me again verses 25 to 27. He says that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You see, there's a deep unity in the parts of the body as they go through life together with a deep love and a deep care for one another. When there's suffering... Like when Monch Pasolich died, or when Annie Jeanette Chua died, or when the Packhams lost a child, or when illness strikes, we as a body, we, we cry together. When there's joy, like Seven Holly getting married, or Alex getting a job, or when the Chuas were blessed with Ray Ray after so many years, or when Annie Pat's operation was successful, we all rejoice together. Through life's various twists and turns, each part of the body gets to work uniquely loving and serving and sacrificing for the other, carrying their burdens and comforting them as one body with many parts. An example I've just been thinking about the last couple of weeks is our culture of fear around dementia and being discarded, like I shared before. And yet in the body of Christ, though mixed with pain and brokenness, there is a great beauty even then. As a body, we have the privilege of carrying that person's memories when they have lost them, reminding them over and over again, honoring and loving them and treasuring them together as one body. Isn't that beautiful? See, interdependence is beautiful because it richly displays the self-giving love of Christ. 
Just as the Lord Jesus said in John 15, 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Isn't that beautiful? See, I trust we've now seen enough of our passage teaching on interdependence to see that it's beautiful, it's glorious. And so now I want us to move towards a question in response to this, which is why is it that so often this is not our experience? And that brings us to the second point of our time together, the fight against independence. See, one of the reasons we find this idea of depending on others so difficult is that we're deeply affected by expressive individualism and our consumeristic culture. See, expressive individualism teaches that the highest goal in life is our own personal happiness and that we should search within to find our deepest desires and follow those, be true to those. It teaches that all external authority is to be rejected, especially when it blocks you from fulfilling your dreams and desires. And the fruit is that we tend to think about everything and everyone through this lens. Another way of putting it is through the lens of the market. How will these things or these people make me more or less happy? Is the cost of relating to them or purchasing these things worth it? You know, I think in these days, it's the reluctance that is widely experienced towards marriage. The question that ultimately holds off a person most of the time in our culture of, from getting married is, will the cost outweigh the benefits? Or will there be a better option yet? It's marketplace thinking. It's consumer thinking. And I put to you, we face a strong temptation to view others as consumable products in the church as well. See, our culture is like the air we breathe. It's so deeply affected all of us that consumerism and market thinking are almost intuitive when it comes to church. When looking for a new church, what do we think about? What's the preaching like? What's the size like? Is it big or is it small? How welcome do I feel? How much are people like me? What are the ministries like? What's the building like? What are the small groups like? And we naturally do a cost-benefit analysis, don't we? If the positives are greater than the negatives, we'll join. But if the negatives begin to outweigh the positives, we'll start looking elsewhere. The frame of reference is, through the whole thing, how will this benefit me? Rare is it to find the person joining a church because it has good biblical bones, because that matters, and loads of needs. But friends, the church is not a product. We are the church. The church is people. The church is every one of us sitting in this room. You see, in our culture, it's so easy to treat people as products to be consumed. We so easily sit on the sidelines and enjoy the blessings of a church service, but are careful to make sure we're not too invested in time, talents, or treasure. We find ourselves weighing the choice of whether to attend based on what we feel we most need, whether it's sleep or leisure or mission or entertainment. And we treat the precious gathering of the body as a product to be consumed, evaluating the gathering based on how much we enjoyed it. Was it a bit too long? Was the preaching any good? Was the band a little bit off? And implicitly, we say to the community, as they love and serve us, this is great, this is working out nicely for me, but I'd rather not contribute because I intend to keep this transaction as favorable as possible. 
But I'd rather not to contribute because I have other intentions for my resources. Yet we read in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. See, consumerism completely misses the reality of our deep need for one another. When we become fixated on what we are going to receive and how we might be blessed, we miss our calling to love and to serve one another. When we start viewing other Christians as dispensable or not worth our time, we miss the profound reality that family of God, in the family of God, every saint is precious and every saint is valuable. And when we become inward in our focus, we miss the opportunity to display the beauty of a truly interdependent people. Friends, I want to ask you to consider this morning a a difficult question. Can you see that like parts of a body, we all need each and every one of the people in this room? Can you see the cost to others when you're not present? It reminds me of uh, when my neck isn't working properly and I get what's called rye neck. Are you guys familiar with that? It's where your, your, your neck kind of feels like it's fixed slightly in the wrong direction. You can't really move it the other way. And someone says, hi, Brennan. And you kind of like have to awkwardly kind of turn around. Oh, hey, good day. How are you? you know, sometimes when there's multiple parts of the body not showing up, we don't just have a rye neck. We also have a bad back and hobbling feet. And here we are hobbling along because each and every part matters. It matters whether we're here or not because we need one another. We're a beautiful body that God has knit together. You know, the question I've been thinking about is what would it look like to approach our gatherings with that real sense of how deeply our presence is needed? You know, we face many challenges in our culture, don't we? It's so independent. It's so individualistic. What I want to do now is just kind of pivot to, to kind of ask, well, how do we fight against that? How can we bring something to the fight against the culture that constantly wants us to think as, as you know, fingers for Jesus or as as a nose for Jesus, independent thinking? How do we fight against this? And I've just got a couple of points, two small points that I think can make a profound difference to the way we approach this moment here, this precious moment here. And the firstly is, is just recognizing we are a part of a body, that we have gifts that have been given to us that are uniquely given by God to love and serve those in our community. I think that alone is a profound change in thinking. You know, one of the effects of COVID that it's had on the world is it's reduced the willingness of people in the West to do hard or uncomfortable things. We realized with COVID, when everything stopped, that all the hard and uncomfortable things we were once doing, we don't actually have to do them. And we kind of enjoyed that. And so not just in the church, but everywhere, we've, we've kind of stopped and become more reluctant to do difficult things. The tendency now is to say when things are hard or uncomfortable, that's just not right for me right now. And yet the gifts we've been given by the Lord Jesus are not simply for our enjoyment, are they? 
Verse 7 says of chapter 12, To each has been given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? For the common good. God has given us gifts for the sake of not ourselves, but for the sake of others. It's to love and serve and bless others. See, the measure of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives should not simply be, did I enjoy myself? But was Christ glorified? And did I love and serve others today? And notice this is not just sometimes. This is a 24-7 calling. It's not just when the roster says we're on. It's all the time. It's so easy in our culture to forget that the church is people. People we're called to love and serve for the glory of Christ. So that's the first point. Just a change in our thinking makes all the difference. I think just to remember, I'm a part of the body. I'm called to be there. The body needs me to turn up and play my part. But secondly is this, is to come prepared each Sunday. And a simple way to come prepared is with just really good questions to consider. Uh, the truth is that each and every week, it's an amazing opportunity to love and serve others. Uh, it's present and it's available regardless of whether you're rostered on kids or you're rostered on nothing at all. You know, Each and every week, you have an opportunity to speak with someone and share Christ with them in such a way it could change their life completely. They could walk away from coming to church deeply down and lacking faith to go forward following Jesus and walk away deeply encouraged and edified by the conversation you had with them or the generosity you showed towards them. And so in Anthony Backloff's book that we're basing this, this whole series on, and Richard Sweatman's book, Unmissable Church, they just have this handful of wonderful questions that could really profoundly impact your example on a Sunday. I'm going to just briefly go through these. Uh, Anthony Barakoff writes, As you drive to church, you could consider this. Who can I pray for on my route to church? That would make a profound difference, just to be praying for someone in this body on your way to church. It could be someone who raised an issue with you last week and, and you need to talk to them again. You want to follow up with them. It could be someone going through a hard time and you'd be praying, Lord, give me some words just to bless them this week. May I be the balm of Christ, that brother or sister, as we gather today. Here's another question. As you enter in through the front of the building, you could ask, who do I not yet know here today? And you could approach that person and begin a conversation. Have you been coming here long? Uh, were you part of a different church before you came here? That could make all the difference. That person feeling welcomed and included in this body. As you look for a seat, you could ask, who is sitting on their own today? And then sit with that person and seek to befriend them and encourage them in Christ. That can make all the difference to whether they believe what the Bible says is true, that they are a treasured part of this body, or whether they think this body has no need for me and go elsewhere. As you mingle before the service starts, you could ask, what can I say to edify someone this morning? Can I follow up a past conversation? Can I share an encouragement from the past week? Could I even share how much I'm looking forward to hearing from God's word today? It can make all the difference. See, we live in a culture that is fiercely independent. And these are simple practices that can make a profound difference to how we approach this moment here together as a gathering. 
But here's a question. How do you move forward to really embrace church community, to depend on others, to treat gatherings as unmissable, when if you're honest, you're afraid of that? And that brings us to our final point, the redemption of interdependence. You see, so much of our reluctance to depend on others is actually, if we're honest, it's, it's so often it's fear. Will I get hurt depending on someone else? Will I be treated as disposable? And yet we have a beautiful message of the one who was completely dependent and was treated as disposable. And yet it was all for us. See, the Lord Jesus came as a helpless babe. He came in complete dependence on his Father and on others. And he lived a life of dependence on God and a life of service of others. Yet even in doing so, he was rejected. He was treated as worthless, disposable, of no value. He was disgraced. And yet that disgrace was purposeful because he humbled himself to die for us and entrusted himself to his Father who cares for him. On the cross, the Lord Jesus, as he hung in anguish, cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What a beautiful act of dependence on God. And God raised him from the dead and exalted him so far above every name in heaven and on earth. And now he's building together a new body, placing each part exactly as he sees fit, molding each limb and organ to share his same heart and depend on him. See, the Lord Jesus was treated as being worthless so that we might always be treated as precious by him. See, the power of the cross releases us from the fear of depending on others. The cross shows us that God remains faithful even when others fail. And releases us from the shame we face when we fail in turn others. See, God has placed us as a part of his body in need of each other. And it is truly beautiful. You know, I wanted to end this message with a story from one of the legends in this church. Um, He's in our gospel community. And I asked uh, his permission beforehand to share this. He said, you're not going to embarrass me, are you, Brennan? I said, yes, I am, brother. Uh, and it's Steve Campbell. Uh, he is a dear brother. He's always giving people lifts. He's always dropping them home. He's always chatting to people about Jesus. We were recently at uh, a birthday party, and there he is to one of the non-Christian guests chatting away about Jesus and dropping her home, talking about Jesus in the car, inviting her to church. He's always present. He's always sharing, and what he shares is gold. And uh, we just treasure him so much. And yet, for those of you who know Steve, Steve has had a really, really tough life. It hasn't been easy for him. And COVID was a really challenging period. And in and through COVID, he actually stopped coming to church for about 18 months. And uh, recently, we had a chat together, and I said, Brother, how do you think about that whole period now? And this is what he said. He said, Brendo, I really regret it. I only wish I knew then what I now know about the importance of being in community. Friends, I I trust you can see 
that God has designed us to be together. Would we live that way? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the beauty of your design. Lord, we we listen to this passage about a body and we, we confess, Lord, we often don't live this way at all. It's so foreign to us. And so we want to just confess that, Lord God. And we ask, Lord, would you help us? Lord, I pray for anyone here who's part of this body and they've been living as though they're not. They've been living independently, Lord. Would you help them to humble themselves, to trust you and to move towards others in love? Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning, Lord, who is struggling to believe that they belong here, Lord, because they're different. Would you help them to see that's part of the beauty of your design? It's not an accident. It's purposeful and it's glorious. Lord, I pray that you would bring the parts of this body ever closer together, not just for our sake, but for the sake of whose body we represent. And that is the glory of our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.